0: Fill in the blank. God created or made man. Thus, there was a time when man simply wasn't. Okay? There was a time before man existed. And then God formed him, made him, created him, and then man became a living soul. So there was a time before he was, namely that time when he wasn't. Okay? Okay? Now, I know this seems very simplistic to say that there's a line before which man didn't exist, after which man did exist, right? But already this kind of messes with some people's minds. There is this concept that man has always somehow lived, and we have this eternal nature to us, but not according to Scripture. There was a time when we weren't, then God created us, and lo and behold, we were, okay? From wasn't to was. Now, watch this. God's formula for life, he didn't just simply create just with his word of his mouth. He did something particularly special. God's formula for life is found there in Genesis 2, verse 7, where the dust, right, he formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into him the breath of life, and thus man became a living being. So you have dust, which is just your body, the stuff, the molecules, the atoms that make up your physical body, dust of the ground, plus the breath of life that God gives. And according to this, you become, man became a living being or a living soul, okay? Which brings us to this punchline. Biblically, and I know this might take people for a little loop here, but let's think about it. Biblically, you don't have a soul, okay? Biblically, you do not have a soul, biblically, you are a soul, okay? This understanding, this sets the table for what happens when we die, because we first have to understand what it means to live. Many people walk around thinking they know what the other person is talking about when they say you're alive or you're doing well. Life, we think, is a common denominator. Oh, we all believe the same thing about life. Friends, we don't, right? The Bible makes it very clear there was a time when you weren't and God created us, brought us into existence, and how did he create? By taking the dust of the ground and breathing into that his breath of life, and that completion of those two things makes someone a living being, makes someone a living soul. Now, please note, again, I cannot underscore this enough, God did not kneel down, inform man at the dust of the ground and have this body, and then take a soul off of a shelf somewhere in heaven, a spirit being, whatever this is, right? And stick it into man, and then the soul had a body to dwell in, and it started activating it, right? So that it's basically the outward clothing of the soul, so that you have inside of you this eternal soul that has always been and always will be, and it lives inside. No, 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 no. According to Scripture, you don't contain a soul. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. okay. Very important to understand as we go forward. So if that's what life is, then what is death? Now we can start to ask the question, what does it mean to die if that's what it means to live? So let's go to Genesis chapter 3, the very next chapter. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. Of course, we understand that Genesis 1 and 2, everything was perfect. God made things good, 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 and very good. Adam and Eve were there in this beautiful garden, or just man and the woman. They have, she hasn't been named Eve yet, interestingly enough, but all of this happens and everything's wonderful and beautiful until, of course, the fall, until they decide to sin against the Creator and become slaves to a different master and bear upon themselves the wages of sin, and which is death, okay? But what is death? Well, notice what the Lord says to Adam, in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 3. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return, where? To the ground. To the ground. Right? He had said you will surely die if you disobey, and he says you will eat bread with the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. And why, does he, why is ground the destination for humans when they die? Well, he makes a very simple case right here. For this reason. For out of it you were what? Taken, right? I made you from the ground, and thus you're going to go right back to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Very simple. He formed him out of the dust of the ground. We see that in chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 19, the wages of sin, you go right back to the ground. Because that's what you were made of very, very simple, very clear. So apparently, when we die, we just revert back to that pre-creation state where we simply weren't. Let's see if the Bible bears this out for the rest of Scripture. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, it's going to be page 646 in your pew Bible. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 6 and 7. was read so well for our scripture reading, but now understand it in the light of the study we've just done. Notice how consistent, I want you to notice the consistency throughout the entire scripture of this original Genesis framework of what life is and what death is, only makes it clearer as we read through scripture. Again, Ecclesiastes 12, starting with verse 6. And notice all these euphemisms for death. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. These are all poetic ways of talking about before you die. Now verse 7. Then what will happen? The dust will, what's that word? Return to the earth as it was. So apparently you are made up of the dust of the earth, and when you die, that body goes right back to the dust of the ground. But what happens to that other component? Remember, there was dust and the breath of life. Notice this. And the Spirit will return to whom? To God who gave it. So notice it's simply the dust goes back to the ground, the Spirit goes back to God who gave it. So where is man? Man isn't. It's reverted back to that pre-creation state. Simply aren't, right? It's a very simple concept. The dust goes back to the ground, the breath goes back to God, and the man that became a living soul now isn't anymore. Basically, what you see, well, let's continue on. We'll get to the punchline in a minute, but let's go to Psalm 104, page 577, back to the left a bit in your Bible, Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Verse 29, we're going to build this biblical case directly from Scripture about what happens when I die. Psalm 104, David writes poetically about this death experience, saying, you hide your face, they are troubled, you take away their breath, they die and return to their what? Dust. Dust. You notice there's always consistently this two-part aspect of death. The breath returns to God. He takes it away because he's the one who gave it. And the body simply goes back down to what it was, dust. It's an undoing of creation is what we're going to see. Let's look at one more. James chapter 2 in the New Testament. Apparently this understanding of what death really is was helpful to James as he wrote this piece of Scripture. When he explains about how vitally important the combination of faith and works is to your spiritual life, because he makes that, it's a very big part of his, of his letter here, James writes about how faith without works is dead. It's very simple that you have to have the combination of those two two things to have a genuine spiritual life, a living faith. And he builds this now in verse 26 on the concept of physical life. He says, for as the body without the spirit is what? Dead, so faith without works is dead dead also. So to teach people how faith and works must combine to make a living spiritual reality, he says, you know how it is in the physical world. You have to have a body and the spirit together that the Lord gives, and when those are separated, you're simply dead. This seems to be a very consistent thing in scripture. So again, going back to our fill in the blank, death is simply the undoing of creation the way that God created us to make us alive, the undoing of that brings death. Okay? So the combination of dust of the ground and breath of life is what makes us a living being. And then the separation of those two things, the breath goes back to God who gave it, and the body goes back to the dust of the ground from whence it came, and thus you have death. Death is simply the undoing of creation. Again, the body returns to the earth, and the breath returns to God. So what is it like for someone who has been alive, has been living, has been a living soul, a living being, a living creature, what is it like to experience that undoing of creation, that separation of the breath of God from the body? What would it be like to be dead? What would it be like to experience death? Well, interestingly enough, the Bible tells us about this. What someone experiences when they have this undoing process called dying? What do they go through? Let's go to John chapter 11. You're going to see throughout the Bible that there's consistently one metaphor that's used, one analogy to help us relate to what it would be like to experience death, used throughout all of Scripture. It's page 1038, by the way, in your pew Bible. John chapter 11, and we'll start with verse... Here, just to give you a little context, a good friend of Jesus and his disciples was a man named Lazarus who lived at home with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus became ill. Jesus received word of this dire illness and purposely chose to stay away. And of course, the illness progressed and Lazarus died. And notice what Jesus comments about the death of Lazarus. Again, chapter 11, starting with verse 11. These things he said, and after, he said to th- and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus, what's that next word? Sleeps. But I go that I might wake him up. So he says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He sleeps, but I go to wake him up. And his disciples didn't catch on to what he was saying quite yet. Remember, he's, all they know is that he's sick. Very, very sick. And the disciples said in verse 12, Lord, if he sleeps... He will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his what? Death. Jesus himself employs the analogy of death being like what? Sleep. Death is like sleep. Again, verse 13. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking uh, speaking about taking rest in sleep. They thought it was just the superficial level of daily nightly sleep. Jesus is using sleep to mean death. And this becomes patently clear. Well, Jesus himself clears up the miscommunication. Verse 14. Then Jesus said to them how? Plainly. He wasn't using an analogy. He wasn't using a metaphor. No parable, no nothing. He just said, Lazarus is what? Dead. So Jesus himself said, he sleeps. And what did he mean by it? That means he's dead. Lazarus is dead. And then he says in verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. <laughs> now that's a pretty bold statement. That you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Okay, so Jesus heads off and they go to see Lazarus. And of course, what we have is the resurrection of Lazarus. Christ commands life back into this body and out comes a living soul, right? living being, named Lazarus once again. Now, let's go to Psalm 13. Let's see the consistency, the consistent use of this analogy throughout Scripture. Page 519 in your pew Bible, Psalm 13. See what the psalmist David writes about this death experience. How does he, what language does he use to Speak about it. He says in verse 3 of Psalm 13, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of what? Death. Okay? So Jesus isn't the first person in the Bible to use this metaphor. He just simply picks up on biblical language and says sleep is death. That's what it's like. Go to Daniel chapter 2. I'm sorry, chapter 12. Daniel Chapter 12, turn to your right in the Bible, page 871 in your pew Bible, Daniel chapter 12. Here Daniel records the very final moments of the great controversy here on earth. When things have come to a head, the close of probation has come, and it's time for Michael, who is Jesus Christ, to stand up, and it explains what happens here. And Notice this. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be, what? Delivered. Notice it doesn't say, and at that time, your people shall be destroyed. At that time, your people shall be delivered. Okay? Everyone who is found written in the book, which parenthetically, if you want to survive the time of trouble, what do you need to do? Make sure that your name is found written in the book. Okay. Having your name inscribed in the book of God's, um, God, God is, is the most important thing. But notice verse two, what this describes, and many of those who what sleep. sleep where in the dust of the earth shall awake. Sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. All of that is poetic language for they're going to come to life. Right? It's a resurrection. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to, everlasting, to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, it's fascinating. He says there's some, you know, are going to have different rewards, some to, li- some to everlasting life, some to shame and contempt, but those who sleep in the dust shall awake. Employs this metaphor for sleep again, talking about death. And you see it once again, by the way, in chapter 12, the very, very last passage there, to to Daniel himself. Notice what it says here, which is a very interesting way for the Lord. You know, I find verse 13 of chapter 12 so fascinating. Daniel has been a faithful servant of the Lord for so many years at this point. He's in his declining years. He's in his old age. And he asks questions and he wants to know what it all means, all these prophecies been told, and the Lord does not give him the answers that he asks for. He said, you've done a great job writing it down. Thank you, Lord. Now, what does it mean? And the Lord says, okay, just seal it up. I'm done. Daniel's like, that's it? Yeah, that's it. Now, look at verse 13, though. But you go your way till the end, for you shall what? Friends, what is it talking about when he says you shall rest? Death. You're going to die. But... By the way, I'm so glad this sentence doesn't end there. By the way, you've done a good job. You're going to go die. But notice what he says this. And will arise to your inheritance when? At the end of the days, right? He's not immediately going to go to heaven. He's not going to be thrown down to hell. He's like, you're going to rest. You're going to sleep. And then you will arise at the end of the age. By the way, I don't know about you, but I could sleep the natural sleep or the sleep of death if Jesus came to me and say, Don't worry. I'm going to wake you up later. Fair enough. Daniel died not understanding all the prophecies, but he knew he would rest, he would sleep in Jesus, and he would wake at the end. That's a good way to go to sleep. Good way to go to sleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 1110 in your pew Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul speaks of this death again, and once again, Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere in the Bible, you see the consistent use of this analogy that death is like sleep. 1 Corinthians 15, let's go to verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all, what? Sleep. Sleep. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Notice his language once again when he talks about some people are going to die, other people are going to be alive when Jesus comes, but those who are die, he refers to as having gone to sleep. But then we will awake, right? The same language that Daniel used, the same language that Paul uses, the same language that Jesus used, the same language that David uses. Consistently in Scripture, death is like sleep. So to experience death, According to this is not to be transported, not to see things, not to hear things. It's simply like going to sleep. So my question is, what is sleep like? If you want to know what death is like, apparently we need to know what sleep is like. Now for some of us here, sleep might be a very different thing. Sometimes might be twitchy and get up and walk around in the night and do all kinds of crazy things and talk. And who knows what you do, you know? Um, I'm not that one. (laughs) I, I sleep like literally the dead literally in one position, just lay there, wake up, eight hours later, okay, I guess I slept. I have no idea what went on. My wife can get away with murder. <laughs> and I'm so glad she doesn't. And if she does, I'm not aware of it. That's good, you know. But she'll tell me all kinds of things. Well, did you know that, you know, Henry came in? Like, nope. <laughs> you know that Edward? Nope. <laughs> you know, if it was up to me, they would just be crying all night long and I'd be sleeping like a baby. Well, in fact, better than a baby, <laughs> apparently. But how, how good... How, how, much, how deep is the sleep of death? Are you kind of alive and kind of dead? Are you restless? Are you wandering? Are you haunting someone? Are you thinking? Are you living? Are you breathing? What are you doing when you die? How deep is the sleep of death? Let's turn over the page. Ecclesiastes again. Ecclesiastes likes to focus on things like death and purpose of life and these things page 644 in your pew bible ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 5 and 6 and again the question we're asking now is how deep is the sleep of death are you somewhat conscious are you here kind of floating around what happens what's it like to die how deep is the sleep of death ecclesiastes 9 verses 5 and 6 notice this for the living know that they will die. Which, by that is not the, the happiest thing to write. Everyone who's, unless Jesus comes, while we're still alive, every person here is going to experience death. You know? I'm not trying to bum you out. I'm not trying to make it bad news. I'm just saying it's a fact that unless Jesus extends your life by coming and giving you that immortal life that we're going to be promised, until that happens, every one of us is subject to death. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen sooner or later. I don't know what means it will be brought about, but the same experience will be shared by all. And the living know this. Everyone who's alive understands this fact. This is what the the wise man is saying here. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Now, all the dead are going to be raised again at some point, yes, either when Jesus comes the first time or at the end of the thousand years. But do the dead think about that? Are they knowledgeable of it? Are they conscious of the fact that they're dead and then someday they're going to be alive? Of course not. You know why not? Because they're dead. And this is his basic point. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. He goes on to explain, and they have no more reward. The memory of them is forgotten. Verse 6, not only their memories are gone, it's not like they're thinking, recalling, and thinking about things, right? Verse 6, also their love their hatred, and their envy have now what? Perished. All the emotions, they're not sitting there in some place. They're not thinking about things. They're not ruminating, pondering, considering. They're not loving things or hating things. They're just done. They're asleep. And their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. And by the way, do they come back and haunt things? Look at this. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun? Apparently, once you're dead, you're dead. That's it. It's not like you go into the grave and then come back up and start thinking and wondering, and those people that you've disliked or hated in your life or loved in your life, you come to the... No, 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 no. According to Scripture, when you're dead, you're just dead. I told you that was our punchline from the very beginning, and Scripture reiterates this over and over. Let's look at the book of Psalms. Just turn back to the left a little bit. Two books back. Psalm 146. This would be page 601 in your pew Bible. Psalm 146, verses 3 and 4. Here David speaks about not trusting man because he's simply a mortal just like you. If you want to trust something, something that you better put your trust in something immortal like God. Notice what he says, Psalm 146, verse 3, do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no help. Why is that? Verse 4, his spirit departs, notice the same sequence, his spirit departs, he returns to his, what? Earth, and in that very day, what else dies? His plans perish. You know, whatever you had on your calendar for the day, your notebook, your planner, your day timer. Do they still make day timers? Is that a thing? I don't know. If you're a kid in Trapper Keeper, your assignments, everything stops right then and there. Your plans perish. It's just done. Let's look one more. Psalm 115, just back a few more pages. Psalm 1, verse 15, verse 17. Because I know that the picture that most people have is that well, when you die... It's not you're just the breath of God that goes back, but your soul goes back, right? And you can't kill a soul. And so you go to heaven and you float around in a cloud and you kind of sing songs and you're praising the Lord and you're on this. But look what the Bible says, Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord. Does that mean that the dead are all enemies of God? No. Why don't the dead praise the Lord? It's not because they're against God. It's just simply that they are dead. They simply aren't anymore. For the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Right? But we, he says, will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And we can talk about that forever thing from last night, until we are silenced by the grave as well. So the living praise the Lord, and the dead don't do a thing. How deep is the sleep of death? you completely completely done. Emotions, plans, praises, whatever you had going on, stops when that separation occurs. Your body goes back to the dust, and your breath goes back to the Lord. But let's go back to Revelation 20 now and pick up kind of the things we had mentioned last night. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to start with verse 5. Remember this is the, when Jesus returns, When Jesus returns, there's a great destruction of the wicked, and Satan is the only one left living. He's bound for a thousand years. Then let's go down to verse 4. What happens during that thousand years? And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So notice that this is, a, we, we talked about it last night, but it's reiterating it now, that when Jesus returns, the righteous living are caught up, and the righteous dead are woken up. Right? They awake from their dusty beds, if you will, to extend the analogy. They awake, they're alive, they're resurrected, and they go with Jesus and reign with him for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, according to the scriptures, stay in their graves until the thousand years are finished. So what you have are two resurrections. Okay? And watch this now, the language the Bible uses to describe it. Again, verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This, those going with Jesus when he comes and going to reign with him for a thousand years, this is the first resurrection. And if there's a first, that means by default there must be a second, right? The first one is for the righteous when Jesus comes and a second one after the thousand years. Now watch this. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection... Over such, the second death has no power. Now think about the logic of God. If there's a second death, there, of course, must have been a first death preceding it. Apparently everyone, righteous or wicked, will experience, unless Jesus comes, first death. But there's a second death that the righteous have no need to worry about. First death is common to everyone, just like we talked about. Unless Jesus comes, everyone faces it. Whether you're righteous, whether you're wicked, whether you're a saint, whether you're a sinner, it doesn't matter. Everyone faces first death. But second death is something that can be avoided. Okay? What is that, and how do we avoid it? Okay? Again, we continue on. Blessed and holy, verse 6, is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Now let's skip down. Let's go down to verse 14. After the wicked are resurrected, as we studied last night, after they have faced the record of their life and after every knee has bowed and every tongue has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether it's out of repentance or out of the sheer weight of evidence, now it says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay? So there's first death that happens in this world, whenever you die, whatever it is, whether it's a car accident, whether it's a horrible disease, whether it's just old age, whatever the thing that gets us, we're all going to get got. Right? First death. Common amen. But that's not a problem at all for the Lord. You know, raising up a body, making a body, piece of cake. He did it out of dirt before, right? No problem. Resurrect, come back to life. But at the end of that time, there's a second death that's of much more, if you want to use the term, grave significance than first death. And what makes the difference between the two? Well, as we talked about, that Fire that destroys does that very thing. It doesn't just harm. It doesn't just torture. The fire destroys forever. Okay? The difference between first death and second death is very simple. Let's go to our worksheets. First death is death that is merely temporary. It's asleep. You'll be awakened from it. Christ can blow the trumpet, command the light back into you. You can be alive again, just like that. Second death, however, is permanent death from which there is no resurrection. Friends, the idea of dying here on this world, the idea of facing first death, is something common to us all. That is not a thing that should be feared. The thing that we should worry about is being destroyed forever and second death. This is what Jesus meant. Don't fear him who can kill the body only. He's like, I can make a new body. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he evidences it with Lazarus, right? He returned to his death and watch this. Lazarus, come forth. How'd he come? First death for the Lord, no problem at all. But second death is that permanent death from which there is no hope of a resurrection. Friends, just like Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill the body only. You should be really worried about this concept of second death where you're going to be gone forever. It's like, don't face that. Face this with confidence. No problem. This one is completely avoidable. And notice, who who has to suffer this again? Come back to the same thing we already read. Verse 15 again. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So what should we do to prepare for avoiding second death? Now, there's not much you can do. Sure, you can eat your vegetables and exercise and you'll prolong first life, right? And I'm happy to push that off as late as possible. Fine. But no matter how healthy, no matter how happy, no matter how great your life is, at some point it will end unless Jesus comes first, right? Avoiding first death is not our priority. Somehow Satan has gotten in our mind that you must hang on to this life. No, 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 no. Friends, it's okay to die. Jesus can wake you up. The thing we want to be sure to avoid is second death. And how do you do that? Make sure that your name is written on the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the ingredient. That's the key. That's the ticket right there. Now, people will argue and say, well, wait, 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 wait. Isn't the soul immortal? I hear that term. I'm sure I've heard it from a pulpit. I'm sure I've heard it on the radio. I'm sure I've heard it. It's just so commonly understood. It's got to be true. Everybody talks about it. Everybody's heard of it. It's got to be real. Everybody thinks it. Well, the problem with this, as we go back to our worksheet, is that the term immortal soul, that phrase is found nowhere in the Bible. You will not find that phrase, immortal soul, anywhere in Scripture. just not there. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite of an immortal soul. Apparently your soul is mortal. It can and will die unless you're written on the Lamb's Book of Life. But somewhere, and we'll get to this in a minute, we came up with this idea, or we bought into this lie, that you inherently live forever, that you are in some way a peer with God, that you are his contemporary, you are his equal, in that you both are eternal beings. Slow down, slow down just a second. Let's take a look at Ezekiel chapter 18, page 817 in your pew Bible. Just before the book of Daniel, we go to Ezekiel chapter 17, I'm chapter 18, I'm sorry, and verse 4. Verse 4 says, of Ezekiel chapter 18, Behold, all souls are whose? Mine. Notice he didn't say all souls are equal. He said, no, 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 all souls are mine. I'm above them all. All souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the Son of the soul is mine. And the soul who sins shall what? Does the Bible teach that you have an immortal soul? No. The Bible specifically teaches that sin, the wages of sin is death, and the soul itself will die. And you're like, well, I didn't think a soul could die. Because you had a wrong conception of what a soul is. Biblically, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. And he says, and the soul that sins shall die. The same thing we read in other parts of Scripture. The wages of sin is death. The soul who sins shall die. First Timothy, chapter 6. Let's go back to the New Testament. We're all over the Bible on this one. First Timothy, page 1142 in your pew Bible right there in the T section of the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here the Apostle Paul kind of gets on a roll, and he gets excited about what he's writing, and he starts describing God, right? And this will go down to verse 15. Which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has what? The only being, according to the Bible, in all the universe, who alone has immortality, is God himself. And I don't know how to break it to you, but friends, you are not God. I am not God. I am his creation. He is my creator. There's a big difference. I'm not equal with God in my powers, in my strength, in in any aspect, not even in this concept of eternal life. God alone has immortality, and he doles it, he gives it as a gift. Eternal life is a gift from God. It's not an inherent right of humanity. But don't good people go to heaven when they die? I mean, I've heard this all my life, too. Like, as soon as you die, you start floating up, or you see this light, or you're hovering over a body, and you're conscious, you're fully aware. You follow your loved ones throughout the rest of their life. You're looking in on them as they do things or whatever, and, or they go through good times or bad times. You take comfort in the fact that your ancestors are there with you because they're all still alive. They're just in a different place, right? Is this what the Bible teaches? Well, no. By the way, the saved do go to heaven, but only when Jesus returns. Until then, right here in our worksheet, they rest or sleep in the grave. Okay? I have no problem with the righteous going to heaven. Just whenever Jesus comes to get us and raises us to life again. Until then, we simply aren't. Okay? See, the Bible talks about this. Revelation chapter 14, page 1184. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. At a particular time in earth's history, as it's getting close, closer and closer to the end of time, the Bible outlines this time of trouble as it was referenced to in Daniel chapter 12. And here in Revelation chapter 14, we read verse 12. let will start with verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those, and it's the same criteria again as those faithful remnant, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then, I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Notice it's not just a blessing for all the dead, right, but those who die how? In the Lord, right, who die faithful at this point in time, who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may, what, rest from their labors and their works follow them. So a record of their life, a record of their deeds, a record of their book, you know, when it talks about the books are open, there's a record kept of your life, but you don't physically continue to live, but your record goes on ahead and you simply rest. You just simply aren't. Scripture makes that plain. And those are the righteous, by the way. What are they doing until Jesus comes? They're resting. They're just sleeping in death. Acts chapter 2. Perhaps the most definitive statement in Scripture, I don't know how language can be any clearer than what the Apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, page 1053 in your pew Bible, speaking about David, who, if there was anyone who should go to heaven, it should be the man after God's own heart, right? The greatest king in the history of Israel? A representative of Jesus himself, sure, in type and figure? He was supposed to point people to the Lord? Surely he would go to heaven when he dies? But notice what verse 29 says, Acts chapter 2. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. He is dead, and what happened to him after he died? He was buried. Where? In the ground. In a tomb, right? His tomb is with us to this day, right over there. In verse 34, just to be crystal clear, for David did not ascend into the heavens. But he says says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The person who ascends and went into heaven that David was speaking about was not himself, but it was Jesus Christ who had come after him, the true king of Israel. But David, the individual, is dead and buried. His tomb is right over there. And just to be clear, he did not go into heaven. Patently clear, right from scripture. So, the question of what happens when I die is predicated on a correct understanding of what happens when I'm alive. What does it mean to be alive? Well, it means to have a physical body It was created from the dust of the ground, that the Lord made from the same stuff. If you broke your body down into chemical particle pieces, you would find the same stuff, the same matter as in the dirt and the rocks and trees, all the stuff that's around here, okay? but God put it together as a body and breathed into it his breath of life. He didn't take an immortal soul off of a shelf and put it in you, and once that body dies away, now you have to have something to do with this immortal soul. No, 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 no. The Bible simply teaches that you are a soul and that the soul that sins shall die, and death is simply the undoing of creation. But praise the Lord, the same God that created us is the God who's coming back to recreate us. So the issue is not avoiding first death and trying to live forever here. Friends, this world is not our home. But what we want to do is make sure that our life is recorded in the Lamb's book of life so that we can avoid second death, so that regardless of what happens in this first life, we can have that same assurance like Daniel had that, yes, you will rest, but I will awaken you at the end of your days the end of the days. So that's a powerful thought. God's Word clearly and repeatedly affirms, as we come to our conclusion, that when people die, they are just dead. So simple, so pure. By the way, where did this come from? Let's finish off here, Genesis chapter 3. Where did this mistaken concept come If it's so clear, from Genesis to Revelation, where did this idea that, no, 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 we don't ever die, come from? Well, as you might expect, it comes from the enemy of God. If God has a truth, whatever the counterfeit is, that comes from His enemy. Genesis chapter three. And notice here, the Lord had said to to the man, "You will, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die." But look what verse four says. Then the serpent said to the woman, "You will not surely die." Friends, it is not God that teaches that there is no such thing as death. It's Satan that teaches that. You will not surely die. For the days, for the God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Friends, we are not like God. We are his creatures. The life that we now live is not ours inherently. It is a gift from him. And we've each, all of us, forfeited the right to continue that eternal life and eat from the tree of life and go on and on. But jesus has offered to give us eternal life again if we find our names written on his book the appeal is very very clear don't worry about first death yes live a healthy life we're going to have a whole night's message about that but this life is not the thing to be concerned about securing of eternal life should be our highest priority And friends, it's available to everyone. Every one of us has to face first death, but there's not a person here who has to face second death. Every single person here has that out on the Lamb's book of life. So once you see the truth in this, don't think, how can I protect my soul? No, Lord, how can I be written on your book so that in the end of the age, you can raise me up and I can live in your immortality for the rest of eternity? Has it made clear today? Does it make sense? Praise the Lord.